The Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. It failed. But in the year of the Shadow War, it became something greater our last best hope for victory. The year is 2260. The place, Babylon 5. Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season six, Chatsalon 5. My name is Alan, and all my life, I've had doubts about who I am, where I belong. <laughs> Now, I'm like the arrow that springs from the bow. No hesitation, no doubts. The path is clear. Well, when I joined chats, the sign said, greatest TV podcast of all. <laughs> if they only knew. <laughs> Welcome, John. <laughs> my co-host, my co-pilot. That was, uh, that was fun. <laughs> Oh There's so much. Did you combine multiple lines? To yes, make that? I did. Good catch. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's fun. Hello, folks. Majon, hey. how are you? I'm good, man. Uh, sorry, everybody, for our kind of wonkiness lately. I was in South Korea for a little over a week, and there was some travel on either side, so uh, kind of threw off our sketch. So we had a gap there. We filled it with a free sneak peek at our patreon content chats nights so hope you enjoyed that and we'll give you another one of those coming up this week to you know just to show you how much we care about you and want to make good on giving you something to listen to every week so we appreciate that Uh, but i'm good you know i'm finally getting over jet lag there were a few days in a row where i was just conking out at like 8 p.m hell yeah which is honestly what I should be doing anyway, since I have to get up at like, you know, 5.30 or uh-huh. 6 to get to work. Um, so I had some warnings of like, oh, this is what this can feel like if I actually get enough sleep. But yeah, how are you doing? I'm well. I'm also on a new schedule now, now that I'm at this new job. Um, I got, I don't, I got, I got used to waking up early really fast, dude. I don't know. Like, I think because uh, I didn't take a week off between my previous job and my new one. I just, like, had a weekend or literally a day because of how uh, I worked on a Saturday. So mm-hmm. I had the Sunday off, and then immediately it was, like, come to work at 8. And I'm like, okay, so I have to get up at 6. And then it takes me an hour to commute there and about an hour to get ready. So I have to get up at 6, which means I have to go to bed at 10. And I told myself that, and it worked. <laughs> I did it for a couple <laughs> days, and I got, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to bed around 10 from now on. It's I guess I just uh, adjusted fast. But um, now I'm just in the constant state of a little bit tired, which is, you know. Yeah. A little bit tired, a little bit rock and roll. (laughs) I'm a little bit of country. I'm a little bit tired. Yeah. Um, This is a little bit of rock and roll. (laughs) Kick it, Elvis. (laughs) (laughs) This is Chatslon 5, the premier Babylon 5 podcast in 2019, probably, maybe... (laughs) 
actually, it's kind of uh, bold to say. Actually, we don't huge know statement, huge for extreme. sure. What the landscape of Babylon Five podcast is. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week we watched, as always, two episodes of Babylon Five. Yeah, uh, baby. We watched the two-parter War Without End, parts one and two, which were both directed by JMS and Michael Vehar. And uh, part one was May thirteenth, nineteen ninety six. Oh, he got the director's chair this time. Oh, Michael Vehar. No, JMS. Oh, did he? Did I get the credits wrong? Did you? You just said that he directed both. Written? No, Michael sorry. Vahar. He wrote both. Michael Vehar directed both. Okay. All right. Sorry. I. I. <laughs> I wonder. Does JMS ever direct an episode? That's a good it's question. Sat, from what I've. From what I understand about the production of the show, it seemed like he was just in a small room on his own, <laughs> writing constantly. Oh, he apparently did an episode of season. He directed the series finale. Okay. Um. Great. So yeah, Michael Vehar is like the director on the show, also though. So these, this is kind of the crew. Yeah. Uh, part one was May thirteenth, ninety six. Part two is May twentieth, and I can't really <laughs> okay. tell you <laughs> yeah. when these take place because. <laughs> The way the wiki formats it is that the first one is Friday, August 9th to Monday, August 12th of 2260, but also of 2254, and then also Wednesday, the 24th of December, 2278. Yeah. So, oh, these have the same episode summary, I just realized. Um, So I'm just going to say that. We're going to kind of talk about these in tandem and make it one big chunky episode. Uh, In this two-parter, Jeffrey Sinclair returns with a mission vital to the survival of the station, traveling back in time to steal Babylon 4. Hell yeah. This, okay. This is huge. So you kind of messed with my brain a little bit right before we started. Mm -hmm. As Uh, I do. We... (laughs) We're sort of weird about... I guess it's not weird, but we try to... uh, reserve as much fresh conversation about the episodes as possible for the recording we'll talk about like what the topics are that we should maybe hit sometimes um or like whoa this moment was funny or this was surprising initial reactions just to like preserve those but overall thoughts will will save but you uh, blindsided me with your hot take. Nuclear take coming <laughs> just up, Just before we hit record. What did you think of these episodes, my friend? Well, so within just watching the episodes, it's like, this is sick. This is so cool. I love these revelations. And then I did a thing. I went back and I listened to our chats episode about uh, Babylon Squared. Yeah. Okay. And that was the one with Babylon 4. Correct. That's the episode that this episode is basically a follow-up to. Um, and it kind of made me like these episodes a lot less. So Interesting. Interesting. In Whoa. The, big, big if true. People come in I mean, this dude, like... Dude, this is like the days of future past of Babylon 5. How can you say that? <laughs> I like time travel plots. I, I thought Avengers Endgame was pretty good. Well, also, uh, days of future past kind of sucks it's not great yeah they're so doing I guess the my comparison is days of future pass you. also no D- dark phoenix is different days of future dark pass phoenix is the one that's the one where it's the future where the sent the sentinels have like and then kitty everybody. pride comes back yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. the comic might be fine I'd... the comic is okay i've read the comic of that the movie was really bad i'm talking about the concept sucks yes for days of future past the movie was horrible 
So the thing with time travel plot, oh, yeah, all of those like Fox X-Men movies are boring and bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Why do you have this bad take? But, so you watch War Without End and you're like, wow, there's all these big revelations. But like you watch Babylon Squared and we didn't like Babylon Squared, dude. I don't remember liking it. Yeah. Because, because none of it makes sense. Literally all of our takes were other than the fact that we kept saying Zathras looks like Nick Kroll from the Caveman <laughs> show. <laughs> that was the best part of that episode for sure. <laughs> if you were like, and then you like looked through the cast, you like read the whole cast of Geico Caveman, the oh TV my show. God, we make a good show. Yeah. It's amazing. Everything in this episode is answering the questions that were posed in Babylon squared. And so my problem is it's just a closed loop. Like, it just, Balance Squad exists solely to ask questions. And you're like, that's weird. They're probably going to answer this someday. What did we, so what did we point to when we were like, that's weird? I, I remember being really into the shot of, like, old Sinclair yes, yes. at the end. Right. And I was like, oh, it's just 2001 A Space Odyssey because I was a child back in November of 2018. I was one, <laughs> I was one year old straight out the womb. Um <laughs> Yeah, like Space Sinclair, where like Zathras is weird. What's the deal? And the dumb thing is, like, now that we know what Zathras's deal was, I still don't like him that much. I'm just like, oh, I get it. Yeah. He's seen a lot. The thing about Zathras is he kind of just exists in this plot. The weird thing about Zathras is like, the first time we saw him, we were like, who is this guy? Who yeah. could he be? Where is he from? And the instant I saw him here, I was like, oh, yeah, it's Zathras. He's always here when this crazy time stuff happens. Right. He just exists to be part of the But it was never answered for me before I was fine with it of who he is. Right. I was just fine with him because he was there last time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. That's the thing. A lot of this episode is like fine because you're like, oh, we know about this. We know about Babylon 4. It's weird. Um, Them doing the like time heist to set up what leads to the world work. It's so, ugh, there's so many fucking revelations. I don't even know where to start. I'm just going to go down, like, my notes. How about that? That'll get us somewhere. Yeah. Um. So, the episode starts, well, we start with Sinclair on Minbar, which is bonkers. Because you're just like, oh, my God. He's talking to, like, this Minbari, and By it's a way, different wait, 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 set. Sorry. I just want to comment on your overall take of this ep- these episodes as just closing the loop. Mm-hmm. I think that's half true. Okay. But it also reopens a whole nother loop. Which one is that? When John goes into the future and a bunch of crazy shit happens. I mean, it's just an alternate reality that they're not going to hit anymore. He saw another reality. No, but that's the real reality. That's our future. Well, okay. So we're going to probably get... Well, well, no. So I wrote... I made a chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You better unfold it. Let me hear it. I made a chart, everyone. You can see this on twitter.com slash chatspot. I posted this chart to explain what happens here. So what I understood is that there exists a bad future where, you know how in season one, Jeffrey Sinclair kept seeing uh, Babylon 5 blow up and everyone's like, it's going to blow up. And he's like, I have to prevent it. That's the bad future where the shadows win. Ivanova is on the screen and they die. Okay, I didn't even make that connection. Right, this is this is what I did when I watched this episode. I just I spent like literally the rest of that evening like doing this chart. Um, in that future, which is in the twenty two seventies, Londo's emperor and uh, 
Babylon 5 is assaulted by shadows. Garibaldi dies. That's the part that's in Babylon Squared where he's yeah. like stopping the people with the door. And then he's like, get, get out of here, Sinclair. Blah, blah. Um, and then Londo has, this is dumb. This is dumb, but I like it. In uh-huh. the fu- in the future, like the bad version of the world, a couple of things happen. One, uh, Sinclair runs into, no, Sheridan runs into the land because Sheridan's the one that goes into this bad future. So here's fundamentally, though, I think you need to change your chart. Okay. Because I think there are two branch points. Uh, Babylon 5 getting destroyed by the shadows was a possibility. If they didn't send Babylon 4 back. Yeah, if they didn't send Babylon 4 back to the distant past. Yep. Then they did it. Yep. And they saved Babylon 5. Yeah. And so they created a set of futures where the shadows are going to lose. Yeah. That's where that the show seemed, exists now. Yeah, that's where we are now. The future that Sheridan went into is a future where the shadows lost. Oh, Londo but and they Delenn, left. Londo and Delenn both are like, you won the war. The war's over. Mm-hmm. You won. The shadows are gone. I see. But there are these like unintended other consequences and evils that we don't understand yet that have made things bad. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we'll get to see a future that's better than that. But that future is still possible. We didn't erase that future with the actions of this episode. That could still be the real future. That is still what this future could be. Yeah, that works a little bit better because like the reveal being, by the way, that this old Londo is like gonna it seems like he's gonna threaten Sinclair and, and sentence him to death. And then instead, he's like, hey, I'm mad at you because you we're like this. totally jumping around, by the way, we're in, we're now in the second. We're just going to talk about the whole thing as one big thing. Yeah, well, I'm trying to talk about Great. the different timelines because I think that's yeah, okay. actually the easier way to talk about this stuff. I agree. And this timeline, I'm circling it right now. The 2270s bad end, I call it, um, yeah. is a is a closed loop. We don't like we don't see it go any further than where it does. We might not. Pro- we might get there. We might not. In that timeline, yeah. Uh, Londo's emperor of the Centauri. Um, they've taken over way more planets. He's so powerful. He's so old and sad, and the shadows have basically taken their grip over him from the rest of the show and made it literal and put a grip around his neck called like a whatever it's called like a watcher i think it's called mm-hmm. um this leads to when sheridan leaves to like go back to his own time uh jakar as he always fucking does is just in a corner hanging out and he pops into the center frame and he's like hey londo i have an i i have a cloth over one of my eyes now isn't that sick yeah, that's the classic way to show that someone is the older version of themselves is they have an eye patch. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, he's like, finally, we're t- it's time for us to fulfill our destinies. And they strangle each other, as we saw at the very beginning of the show. But they're not killing each other. Well, they are killing each other, but it's not out of like a rivalry. It is Jakar is trying to strangle the Watcher that's around Londo's neck. And Londo is being possessed by the Watcher to try to defend himself and kill Jakar. That's the strangling that we saw. Yeah, well, he is trying to kill Londo. Well, he's trying to, yes, trying to, he's saying because Londo, because Londo's saying, like, free the, me from this. Yeah, the way the 
the watcher thing works is that londo was able to incapacitate it by getting super drunk drunk hell yeah um and be honest about how he really feels about sheridan and stuff and yeah. then it was still asleep so he was like jakar now is the time we were always going to have to kill each other this way which i think is so cool that it's like yeah that's just a fact of londo and jakar regardless of what happens they will both die by strangling each other to death. Mm-hmm. It just this time they're doing it because they're friends. Yeah, it's a friendly strangle. <laughs> and so Londo's like, "Kill me before this thing wakes back up." And Jakar does that, and then the thing wakes up, and Londo is strangling him. I loved that as a fate for Londo. That's so yeah, <laughs> so bleak. Like even oh, if you finally reconcile with the one person who promised you they'd never reconcile with you, it still ends with you get killing each other. Yeah. You do not get out of this okay, bud. And in his final moments, he is he is lorded over by the shadows. And then who who has the gall but Veer Kato himself to step up and look at Londo's dead body and take the amulet from his neck and say, it's my turn to be the Centauri Emperor. Like, he oh. just wanders in. Whoops. Okay. Cool. Oh, what's this necklace? Oh, I'm the this king now? Dead. Sick. Uh, and this is all above the entirety of the Centauri homeworld burning. Like (laughs) everything he won is gone. Everything's on fire. They kept nothing. He's just a sad dead man. This is how, this is a way for him to end. Um, So is this the same future where Delenn is like, yeah, Sheridan, we had a kid. Yeah. That's also great. David, I believe is his name. So these two episodes, man, I told you this, at the beginning of the first episode, uh, the first episode, as we were starting to say, starts with Cher- with Sinclair on Mimbar. Yeah. And so, or it starts on Mimbar and somebody brings a note that says Jeffrey David Sinclair. Yep. And you're like, whoa, crazy. Mm-hmm. And then the camera is like, no, 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 he's right here. And you're like, whoa, crazy. Fade yeah. to black. And you think, okay, that's a huge open we're going to hit the titles now, right? And Babylon 5 is like, no, hold on. We're not done First, Ivanova is going to be on the bridge of Babylon 5 and hear a message from herself in the future saying that she's about to die. <laughs> okay, now we can do the titles. And the episodes keep doing that every few minutes of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sheridan got unstuck in time and he's in the future. And you're like, cool, 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 cool. Um, he's in like a weird throne room and the episode's like, well, hold on, hold on. Look, look, look. It's Londo. Londo's the emperor now. And you're like, all right, great. I've got it. I've figured it out. And the episode says, no, no, no. Hold on. Look outside the window. Centauri Prime is on fire. You're like, great. That's wild. Wow. You've said, you've said a lot. (laughs) Let me just digest this. Please. And the episode says, no, because actually down the hall is Delenn in a jail cell. You say, okay, Delenn's in jail. Got it. You hate to see whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait. Because we won the war with the shadows, by the way. Cool. Uh, and our son is safe. <laughs> David! David! <laughs> At this point, you just have your head in your hand saying, stop. Just slow down. You're giving me like a season's worth of twists and turns and information. And I can't take it. 
And they're like, no, there's also a whole heist that needs to happen. And then we're going to explain how literally all of this started with us doing the thing we're doing in the present. And then we're also going to answer how the Minbari culture ended up the way it is because of this same heist. Yeah. But this is also what I mean when I say it's a closed loop is like, and this is yeah. like time travel stories are, they have to be closed loops or else you're making paradoxes. Mm-hmm. The show is just making itself happen. Which is cool. Like, I think the Valen reveal is very dumb. We'll get to the Valen thing. Whoa, I actually don't. I okay. actually think it's really good. I think the whole, like... <laughs> do you, okay, do, I need to find the thing that we agree on. Do you think that the three of the people in the room being the temples of Mimbari society is dumb? So, okay. <laughs> I thought it was sloppily done. A little. Let's... Let's see. Where do we even... So Sinclair comes on the ship, and this is now in the present. We're not talking about alternate timelines. We're not talking about the future or the past. Yeah. Sinclair is like, hey, guys, uh, Babylon 4 is going to come back again. We need to do – we need to make Babylon Squared happen. We need to, like, be the accident that's on the ship that leads to us coming there so that we send it because it was – Yeah. So I want you to describe to me the experience of re-listening to an understanding – what Babylon squared was all about. Right. And like what your experiences experience was watching this episode. Did you listen to that before you watched this or after you watched this after? Okay. So walk me through what that was like. So when you just listen to Babylon, the us discussing Babylon squared, it's like, here's all these weird things. Why is this ship under attack? What's the deal with Zathras? What's the deal with spaceships, uh, space suits and Claire? Why is he old? Uh, yeah. and then what's the deal with Valen? Those are like questions that they've been setting up that we've like known since Babylon squared and Babylon squared was season one. That's one? like season one, episode six or no season like 20. I think it's like late season one. So you, in that episode, you hear Delenn's voice, right? Yeah. You, you see, see her and you see her hand, but you don't see her because she has the hair right in that. I, in that podcast, I also say, Magellan, a woman says a thing and you're like, it's Delenn. And I'm like, who is it? And you're like, dude, it's Delenn. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, yeah but you only see her hand so you're like I, it Got could it. maybe be anyone season one episode okay. 20 by the way yeah um and you're like what's the connection between sinclair and old sinclair how did that happen etc etc sinclair in this episode is like we need to steal babylon 4 because yeah. and here's the beginning of the timeline in the 1300s 900 years before the show starts the first shadow war happened and as we understood it, uh, the Vorlons and the allied races fought the shadows and they were losing for a while and they weren't like organized cultures yet. So it was just kind of like early game Civ, like, wow, this big army wiped me out. But then this guy named Valen, this Minbari named, holy figure named Valen came by in an amazing technologically advanced ship and he destroyed the shadows with this ship. And that's the reason that they won the first shadow war. Yeah. And he became a pillar of Mimbari society, and him and his and the the three people known as the One became the temples of the religious, the worker, and the um, military castes. He says we need to make that happen because if that doesn't happen, we get the future where we lose. Uh, the the shadows win from minute one if we don't do that. Yeah. So what we realize is that they orchestrated everything that happened on Babylon Four. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember how this works out exactly. So 
four is out of I'm literally looking at my notes right now. It's Atlantic's over the Great Council. B blah 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 four. In that episode, they're just like, it's meant to fight a great war. We think it's in that at the time you're like, it's a war in the future. It's the future Shadow War. It's actually the first Shadow War. That's a cool reveal. Yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. Um, and again, Sinclair's recurring thing about like seeing Babylon Five blow up, and every like psychic in the first season is like, "Hey, you're gonna your ship's gonna die, bud." So it's yeah. all about him trying to avoid that. Right. Um, also, while we're still talking about Babylon Squared, Babylon Squared, Babylon Squared, <laughs> Chrysalis, the season one finale, yeah, ends with Delenn climbing into the Chrysalis and getting the Triluminary, which we learned that she gave a piece of to to Sinclair when he went mm-hmm. to go do his ambassadorship on Minbar. So he has that. Triluminary. Uh, they successfully in the present steal Babylon 4 mm-hmm. by making it seem like there is like an attack on there so that, uh, you know, 2258's version of Garibaldi and Sinclair will come onto the ship. They come onto the ship. This is where I get lost. Yeah, it seems like it's hard to sort out what is their plan and what's happening by accident. Um, yeah. Because it kind of seems like they show up in the time period where Sinclair and Garibaldi are there by accident. Like they meant to steal it a few years earlier or something, but then things get, they jump around in the time stream by accident mm-hmm. and then they're on the ship. And yeah, I think, Babylon 4 must think that they're being attacked because there's this odd ship nearby. Sinclair and Garibaldi are kind of just there by happenstance and they get ushered away. Or oh. they, I guess they save, do they save the crew though? They save the crew, right? Well, I think the crew being Babylon in danger 4. is fake though. I think that's what the like crew of, well, that's what present day Sinclair and company tell the crew is like, hey, there's an attack and they like make everybody freak out and it's not real. Okay. Or cause they, Got they it. like they, um, they sabotage the fusion reactor or whatever to make them think that it's going to blow up. But they did that so that when 2258 Sinclair and Garibaldi come on, everyone's like, Oh God, we're going to die. You need to come save us. They steal it. It's also, this also involves the white star because the reason Sinclair is coming at the time is that if they don't, he doesn't then in eight days from the present, the shadows are going to blow up Babylon 4 and then break the time loop. Yeah. Because right now the way the time loop works is Babylon 4 keeps going back and keeps on fixing everything. So it has to stay, like, whenever it enters the present, it has to stay alive. Yeah. Uh, so they go on the White Star. They successfully steal Babylon 4, but it has to be taken back. Somebody has to go back with it. Right. There are a lot of like cheesy, really cheesy dialogue moments in this episode that we can pick apart. Uh-huh. Uh, one of them is just when Sheridan is like, wait, you're telling me that someone steal Babylon 4 and it was me? <laughs> I stole it? I stealed I it? <laughs> and then the thing that you quoted where he was like, they told me it'd be the greatest adventure of all time. I didn't know how right it was. It's like, Sheridan, shut up, Just dude. do the mission. You're not, like, why are you the one guy in the room who's like, I don't know. I don't know if we should steal Babylon 4. <laughs> I don't know and if we should fix time. Ivanova is like, I'll be in the car. <laughs> why are literally, we? Literally says I'll be in the car. Why are we fucking around? We know it needs to be done. I love that. 
So Sheridan was annoying. And then this moment, Marcus Cole's like, wait. We were going so fast through this plan that none of us ever realized that someone is going to have to drive this ship to the past. Which one of you guys is going to do it? I guess I'll do it. I'm I just realized this has to happen. I'm assuming nobody else thought of this. So I, Marcus Cole, will fly Babylon for Hero the Hero of the universe, probably protagonist of the show, really. And it's like, and no, Sin- Marcus. Sinclair's like, dude, no, this is, I came here to do this. What are you talking about? Why do you think I'm here? Marcus, don't mess with the timeline. Also, I'm a one-time cameo, and then I'm not on the show anymore. Let me, let Michael O'Hare have his moment. Yeah. So Marcus is like, fine, you can be a hero. And he's like, no, no, no. Not only do I take it back, and this is also he reveals like Garibaldi doesn't get to really be in this episode because Sinclair like has the his really like poignant moment where Garibaldi's like, how did you guys pull the wool over my eyes? Why? How did Sinclair come here and not say hi? We were best friends. I missed him so much. He never talked to me. And then he gets the message that's like, if you if I told you I was here, you would have come with me and you would have tried to come back with me. Yeah, that's that foolish. Sweet. Don't break the time loop. That broke my heart when Zach Allen was like, oh, dude, Sinclair was here. Caraballi was like, what? what? He would have he told me. What? Yeah, don't lie. Why'd you tell? Don't telling lies? No, Papa. Come on. That made me sad. Yeah, that's that's some good. That was a really good moment. It, the, the emotional moments make this episode worth it, honestly. Um, it's the timey-wimey stuff that's just like, this is ridiculous. And then nah, it's... Nah, nah, bro. I'm yeah. disagreeing with you. But then... So remember that triluminary we talked about earlier? Yeah. Uh, Sinclair is like, oh, it can't just be a dude piloting it. That doesn't make any sense because they haven't met humans yet. Humans don't exist yet. I can just look like one of them. I'll call myself Valen. And then I will, like, guide them to where I know they need to be. I will guide them into their present selves. Yeah. Isn't that so interesting? Sheridan is Valen. Sinclair is Sinclair Valen. is Valen. Sorry, Sinclair is Valen. Why don't you like that? That's cool. I'm gonna give you that. What didn't you like about it then? You said it was a bad reveal. Oh, just it's like it's absurd. It feels like it comes out of nowhere. I understand well, why he has to do it, but it's like why you don't think that they were gonna do this on their like it, the reason it makes it sense is because it's nowhere. Go ahead. Sorry. The reason it makes sense is because none of the plot happens unless they do this stuff. But it's it's like. But it only didn't happen because he... Oh, it's hard to explain. Like, if he I, left Minbari's society alone, they wouldn't meet Valen because he wouldn't go back because they wouldn't have met Valen because he wouldn't go back. It loops in on itself. Yeah. Yes, it does. Which but in a bad. satisfying way. Bad. Yeah. I think it loops in on itself in a way that... Um, you know, it's not like trying to think of an example of a cheesy time travel story but it's not like back to the future you know where you Uh. know where they have to get back to (laughs) the future Um, where you've like seen the right way for things to go and then he has to go back to the beginning and fix it up or whatever Um, that's not even how back to the future works but What's cool about this is that you didn't even realize how big the time loop was. 
Like, we didn't even know that this loop was getting closed. Because right. we've heard Valen, Valen, Valen in Valen's name. Valen's like old school, like a Jesus Christ type guy. Yes. So we never would have predicted that we needed an answer to who Valen was. Right. Why would you ever, why would you even consider that? And then he puts on the, the he uses the triluminary and transforms and you're like, wait, oh, oh, and like the reveal is very rewarding. I think what's good about this Valen reveal though is, uh, so a lot of the show has kind of been like disassembling the idea of like belief in organized religion. I was just going to say, yeah. Right. And like the Vorlons and the shadows being like, well, we, we could, we pick, we um, dictated everything that's going to happen. And we're just like some like petty idiot aliens that have lived longer than you have. But we've decided every society's history and made them think that we are what God looks like. That's what religion is. Fuck you guys. And it like feels kind of cynical. And this is like, no, what Sinclair is realizing here is like where they got is good. I just need to be the catalyst that gets them there and point them in the right direction. I will be the person that defines Mimbari society because it's, I know it's already good. And I just want to get it back to where I know it'll be good. The thing that unlocks this moment is Sinclair, as he's going back in time, his life kind of flashes before his eyes. Uh-huh. And there's a moment where I don't even remember what character this was or what episode this was, but some guy with a jewel in his head. Oh, it's soul hunter. Like, soul hunter fuck yeah whoever knew that this would be like a quote that mattered (laughs) he's strangling sinclair and he's like can't you see they're using you they're using you and it reminded me of the concerns around when sinclair was picked up by the mimbari Mm -hmm. during the earth mimbari war and there was some speculation by Earth people of like the Mimbari maybe have turned him into a sleeper agent. Right. So like I think Sinclair is questioning his agency here. Yeah. And he's kind of decided that he doesn't have agency. Mm-hmm. That he that he is a tool of the Mimbari, or he is a tool of the Vorlons in service of fighting this war mm-hmm. he says he has a line in the one of the episodes where he says like we're all expendable right none of us matter like the thing that matters is the mission the cause and you know it's fascinating like is this a heroic end to the story of sinclair or is this kind of a bleak moment of the vorlons using him to use the Mimbari because he's he's faking and he's manipulating them and he's leading them to believe that he is a god-like figure when he's just a guy who stole a ship and he needs them to believe that to serve his purposes and protect his planet and all that Mm -hmm. so it feels kind of cynical but also kind of heroic and self-sacrificing. I don't know. For for sure. I mean, it it just depends on how you look at it. Like, is is there a part of him that's like, oh, I'm a, just a player in the game, and part of being that player is like accepting that my role is to be the the player. Like, I'm just I have to like fall into lockstep, do what I'm supposed to do, and then be forgotten. 
Like, he is not famous for being Jeffrey Sinclair, except for the people of Babylon 5. He is famous for being Valen. He spent most of his life being Valen, technically. Uh, and so he's like, well, I guess that's just where I am in Mimbari society. And it, it explains a lot about his performance in this episode. I think the other thing worth mentioning is, like, say whatever you will about, like, the time travel fuckiness of this episode and how, like, it can be kind of confusing and there's a lot of weird parts and, like, Babylon Squared in Isolation was not a great episode. This is sort of a... This is a farewell for Michael O'Hare. Uh, yeah. This episode. This is, like, a farewell to his performance, to his character, to his role on the show, and to his relationship with television. Because uh, mm-hmm. this is one of the last roles he did um, before he uh, passed away in uh, in 2012. He kind of, like, faded from the public eye for a while. Uh, it was also at this point that he started taking medication for his mental health issues and his parent, he had specifically his paranoid delusions. Um, and it's unfortunately very difficult to say if the sort of like distance from his performance is like Sinclair accepting his place in life and, or Michael O'Hare accepting his place in life and also like losing a lot of his faculties to medication and mental illness. Right, and we can't really we can't presume too much of that, but it's certainly. Uh, I mean, this is just like you, as an actor, who, who, due to life circumstances, is written off a show. You can't ask for a cleaner end for your character than this. Right, like right. this is so. It just is still mind-boggling to me that this show existed. 20 years ago mm-hmm. where this is a show on cable. Like what channel was it on? I always forget that. Uh, it's like PET, PETN, I believe. Yeah. It's some like random fucking channel and it's intensely serialized for the time. This is an episode that is ref- bringing back a character yeah. from two seasons ago, um, referring to a specific like kind of bad episode in the middle of season one and is requiring you to know this lore about Valen and the shadows and all this stuff. And it goes there and it fully wraps up his character and sends him off in a way that is uh, reverent and respectful and lets him be there and lets him make a huge decision of his own volition and it's like a big deal he gets to be the captain again like sheridan doesn't do a lot in this episode other than be in the future and witness things right this is that this is the episode to be like hey remember season one remember why we liked sinclair completely separate from sheridan Mm -hmm. here's him here's his like showcase that was great i love that and then uh you know sinclair gets an ending where it turns out he's a hugely important figure and again it's heroic while still maintaining not compromising the tone of the show Mm. Um, because it's not like people are like yeah sinclair awesome and it's not like he uh threw himself in front of the beam to save sheridan's life or something he had a very specific purpose in the mission and he fulfilled it and now he's gone right and his purpose is kind of like oh that's bleak. That's a little cynical. 
that's he's giving up everything in service of this mission in the way that Jack the Ripper, when he was interrogating Delenn and Sheridan, was looking for them to do, to be able to do. Right. So, like, I think, I think it's brilliant that's, as an ending for Sinclair. And that's that, absolutely brilliant. That's the thing that ends up working about it being a loop is like, it's a it's intentionally tragic that he does all of this work and he gives up any chance at like a life in the present to make things be exactly like they are. Right. Exactly. He doesn't like it's not like to go thought... win a war that was already won a thousand years ago. Right. To just do to just do it exactly like it does and and basically put the show in the direction that it's already going to go, which kind of like symbolically works. It's like Michael O'Hare handing off the torch and being like, hey. Go finish this. I set yeah. it up for you. I, I laid the groundwork. We laid the groundwork together. Let's let's like let it go off into the sunset correctly. Right. Yeah. It's um, it's an episode I've still been. It's a pair of episodes. I keep calling it an episode because it's just one long thing basically that I like am gonna be thinking about a lot. Mm-hmm. And it definitely, uh, honestly, kind of like redefines um what a one off can be. Hmm. Because in a way, it doesn't. It is sort of a one-off or a two-off, but it's also at the same time fucking huge. It's like as big as things can get. We're pulling from the 1300s, guys. <laughs> like, right. Well, and it it puts us in this position where like we just don't know. I'm sure Babylon Squared at the time we were like, well, that was a weird episode, but they'll probably do some stuff that explains this. But I don't think we could have anticipated that we were going to come back to the episode Babylon squared in such a significant way. And so I think it puts us as viewers in a position now of like, if we had any doubt in our minds about JMS and his like crazy yarn diagram of Babylon five, there should be no doubt anymore. Every dot is being connected. Everything that could matter is going to matter in some way. Oh, I just got chills, bud. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, to have that much faith in a show, it's, you know, there isn't another show that I can think of that you can put that much faith into. Yeah, you really, it's like, this is a testament to like what the success of what they tried to do with this show. It's like, no, trust us. Like Babylon Squared, we kind of took it and we're like, okay, we'll get it. I'll take you on faith. This will make no sense now and it will make tons. Like you can now go back and watch Babylon Squared and find all the little clues and be like, whoa, that's so cool and exciting. It makes more sense now. Yeah. Um, Also, speaking of like being able to go back, this is the other thing that just gave me chills. Uh, Season one, episode eight, I think, Believers, which is the one where uh, uh, Franklin is dealing with the terminally ill son and the parents who don't want him to treat him. Yeah. Features him getting advice from Sinclair, and guess what that advice was? Sometimes doing the right thing doesn't change anything. Whoa. Right? Oh. Oh, shucks. Oh. Oh. Thank you, Michael O'Hare, for an amazing farewell performance for Babylon 5. Oh, my God. It's awesome. I miss you. I hope you're up there just (laughs) having a good time peacefully i you know here's my final response to sorry i don't mean to cut off this send off to here no sure love you 
But here's my final response to your assessment of the episodes as you didn't like them. Uh-huh. Uh I think you're full of shit. <laughs> Correct. Uh, no, I agree. Like the Babylon 4 stuff is kind of cute that we're tying up all the loose ends. Yeah. In a way that you could either like or be like, okay, I didn't need that. The stuff with Sinclair, I think, is beautiful uh-huh. and brilliant. Uh, the stuff in the future with Sheridan is I'm torn about. Because I love that we got all these clues and hints and we're like, whoa, how do we get there? But now it's also weird that it's such a certainty that the shadows are going to lose. Like before we've seen the scariest, most intense stuff of the shadows, we see someone in the future be like, evil always finds a new form. It just has a different name. Yeah. Like the shadow war is not the end. And it's like, I, yeah, I knew that because I've seen stories before, but now it kind of compromises my ability to invest in the shadow war as like the season long arc. Right. You know, so I'm conflicted about that uh, setup because I like that they're like, shit just keeps getting crazy. But I also don't like that they are selling out the climax of season three before it's happened. By guaranteeing that it's going to go well, you mean? Yes. Or by just guaranteeing that, like, it's going to happen a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you get into the question of, like, what predetermination, predestination, I mean, and, like... Right, that's a good point. How much of this is planned, anyways? Because, like, if it's really all controlled by the Shadows and the Vorlons, then, like, didn't they already win? And then why are we even fighting? And then you can... Now we're talking about Lost. Now we're talking about all the big shows with the big plot twists and that stuff. Like, Yeah. um, Other things I wanted to say. Yeah, I think we we talk a lot about how it's, like, whenever we have a guest on, it's, like, when does the show get hopeful? And I think, like, Sinclair being, like, I gave you the tools to live your life exactly as you will. That is the best gift that you can be given. Is, like is hopeful in a way it's better than them being like we looked into the future and there exists a multiverse where we win which is the marvel thing and it's like okay great guys like so we're gonna do it we're gonna be the one universe this is like no the universe you're in is the one where you have the most potential to do it i'm not guaranteeing you shit but stay tuned is basically what the show is telling you (laughs) so i like that a lot uh, about it a whole lot um yeah good stuff man very good yeah. stuff uh so i don't know do you want to do emails first or do you want to talk about what we're watching next week first um let's do let's talk about what we're watching next week first Sweet. That's good. yeah okay by the way i uh now's the time to come clean i spoiled that sheridan becomes valen for myself a while ago a while ago nice yeah, I wish I didn't knew it. Didn't know it. Uh, but what I liked was at the beginning of this episode, these episodes, I was like, "Oh shit, Sheridan's or not Sheridan Sinclair. Sinclair's gonna go back in time and become Valen. Fuck, that's probably gonna happen in like next season." And I spoiled it for myself. Aww. And then it happened at the end of this episode, and I was like, "Oh, okay, oh cool. yeah, 
I don't have to have this. <laughs> I don't have to keep thinking about when this is going to happen. Was that one of your last big ones, or do you still I'm have some free? Stuff? I accidentally just spoiled something else for myself by reading an Amazon summary from season four. So why are you like this? <laughs> I I always got to have something that I'm like stressing about. <laughs> that I get. That's a huge mood, actually. Yeah. All right, let's talk about what we're watching next week. Cool. Two oh, more boy. episodes of season three. Season three, episode eighteen, Walkabout. Sheridan uses a powerful new tool against the shadows. Then, Season 3, Episode 19, Gray 17 is missing. Delenn agrees to lead the rangers, but Marcus must protect her from a deadly threat. So, I don't know anything about Walkabout other than, I believe, yeah, it's a Franklin episode. That's exciting. Fun. People have a lot of thoughts on Gray 17 is missing. This is like one of the most referred to episodes of the whole show. Really? Yeah, I don't. I think it's bad. It might be bad. The way it sounds is it's bad. Interesting. But after this like bombastic two-parter, I'm just like, you know I what? Was, I was told nothing's bad in season three. three? Well, or I think it was more like this is one of the four last that like nothing's bad. Season four, nothing is filler. Ah, uh, okay. So he's, this might be the last filler episode of the series. This might be mm. what people are talking about. I'm not going to read about it. Gray 17 is missing. I've definitely heard that reference multiple times. People are like, oh, man, can't wait till they get to Gray 17 is missing. Oh, boy. So that's that. Um, we, since we're a week behind, have a whole batch of emails to read. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so these are going to be a little crusty, but we're going to crack them open. This one's from – we got two from Dan and one from our friend Marcus. Um, would you like to read this first one from Dan? Sure. Okay. I just started in the inbox. It might show up on your end. The late delivery from Avalon one? Yes. Okay. Oh, that's the King Arthur one. <laughs> Fuck, I yeah, forgot that Yeah, the best episode of the show. Okay. Um, so this first email from Dan talks about the episodes of late delivery from Avalon and Ship of Tears. Um, oh. All right. So Dan's about to do some correcting. Good. Dan says, hmm. <laughs> Hmm. Uh-oh. You guys might have missed a thread or two with the episode A Late Delivery from Avalon. King Arthur slash David McIntyre didn't die in any space battle, only to be brought back with technology. We didn't say that. Wait. Did we not? Wait. We didn't say that. And his traumatic flashbacks weren't of the Earth-Mimbari War proper. He was on the Earthship Prometheus when humans first made contact with the Mimbari. Yeah. The Mimbari ship had its gun ports open when it approached the human ship, a Mimbari sign of respect, and their sensors overwhelmed the Prometheus, and the captain panicked and ordered the gunnery sergeant, David yeah. McIntyre, to fire on what was actually a defenseless ship, the precipitating event of the Earth-Mimbari War. King Arthur was carrying the guilt of an entire war on his oh. conscience, not just some generalized guilt of, I killed some Mimbari and feel bad about it. Yeah, that's how I understood it. Did you understand it differently? Than I that? think in the episode, I was just like confused about it, what was his backstory. Oh, okay. Also, whatever. You can continue reading. That's how I understood it. Yeah. Um, if you were to take anything away from that scene where they're comparing Babylon 5 characters to Camelot characters, it should be the question at the end of the scene, then who's Morgana Le Fay? Okay. We'll hmm. keep thinking about that. Ship of Tears has its own weirdness, too mostly surrounding Bester. His domestic situation is odd and confusing. To be clear about it, he has a wife back at Psycor, and it's strictly a genetic assignment because they're trying to breed better telepaths. If Carolyn was just a side chick that he fell in love with, it would be simpler. Uh, but it's creepier than that. Of 
course it is, because Bester. But consider this. Carolyn was a blip that was in Psycor custody. The power dynamic between Carolyn and Bester was not a good one. She was a prisoner, and he was basically part of the prison staff. Was no even an option in her world once she caught his eye. Huh. Can Bester only love someone he has complete power over? Can that even be called love? It's weird, he's weird, everything's weird. And don't worry about him having any sort of Christ-like redemption arc. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Thank you for putting it in terms I can understand. Thank you for the language that I speak. Uh, that Delenn-Jakar scene is one of my favorites to occasionally rewatch. The one where Delenn's like, can you forgive me? And Jakar's like, fuck you. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. It's well-written and well-acted and just works. The acting in particular is on the mark. Delenn openly cries, which is powerful in its own right. But Jakar always seems like he's right on the verge of tears and is barely holding it together that whole time. He honestly says that had he learned this while his world was being bombed, he would have killed Delenn instantly. And he asks her to make sure she understands this. Then he has his moment of pathos and understanding. And it's absolutely right on the mark for him to not be able to forgive her in this moment and can only hope that he can forgive her sometime down the line. Great stuff all around. Interludes and Examinations is big enough to stand on its own for some chats discussion. It's always better to keep the two-parters together anyhow with War Without End. That's from Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan. And then you have Dan's thoughts on Interludes and Examinations, right? (laughs) Right. Approximately one week later, um, he sent us an email about that. Uh, He says, I think that Morden slipping aboard Babylon 5 was handled adequately enough. I agree. Um, As he bribed his way through customs, Ivanova's voiceover was explaining they had lapses in security because of their break from EarthGov. It seemed time to reflect what was happening on the screen. Yeah, I know. I get it. I thought it was funny at the time, but the narration does totally explain, like, yeah, he got through because security is bad. That's valid. You can always tell when Londo's having a character moment because his reflection is in the shot. Uh, granted, it's not necessarily as big of a reflection as the one in the glass of the cruiser. Oh, the best shot in the whole show. Um, but there's still no mistaking the trick. Um, as far as Londo agreeing to work with Morden once more, it's hard to say what Lord Londo's actual goals are because he says that he's tired of everyone around him dying except for the people who deserve it. And he's looking quite pointedly at Morden when he says that. Maybe he thinks Rifa had Adir killed and wishes to engineer his destruction, but it didn't seem far-fetched enough to me to think that Londo might be keeping his friends close and his enemies closer, duh. That's totally what it is. Because I was like, why would he work with Morden again? You silly man. Mm, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess, I guess that's fair. It's like you that. might as well, if somebody's going to work with you, it's at least the person who you'd rather have on your side. Okay, so we think that, I see, that maybe he's letting Morden believe that he's been fooled into trusting the shadows again that's the most fun read of it at least okay yeah i like that read i'll i'll take that i'll take it i'll take that read i'll take that read the alien ambassadors who are asking sheridan to prove that he had power were the brakiri and the gaim gaim oh game in an interesting bit of connectivity the game are named after neil gaiman and their design is based on a mask from sandman he uh gaiman goes on to write an episode in b5's fifth season with the central plot revolving around a brakiri death ritual I have cool. heard about that episode. People don't shut up about that episode. It sounds fantastic. I don't like Neil Gaiman's style that much, so maybe I'll be salty about it. Hmm. Um, I sure did like him in high school, though. The Sheridan Kosh stuff felt pretty solid to me. Um, the only part that ever got gnawed at me was the line, unless your people get off your encounter-suited butts and do something. <laughs> 
it feels like one of those times where asses would have made more sense and it would have flowed better dialogue wise, but it was before the age when you could say ass on non premium television. So that's very funny. Um we didn't talk about we didn't talk about uh at the beginning of the first episode when they're on Mimbar and the like kinda I don't know how to feel about this Mimbari guy who's talking to Sheridan. I thought he was like a liar or something. He's something about him seems off, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But that's kind of just how the Mimbari are. They're yeah. like so honest and straight up that like at first I'm sure I felt that way about Lanier, and then I was like, Oh no, no, that's just oh, how, how they are. Son. I love this man. Um but that guy was hanging out with this purple Vorlon whose voice just oh, sounded yeah. like him doing ventriloquism. Yeah, like he's talking through it. He probably was. <laughs> Super, I forgot about the purple Vorlon. Wow, there's another yeah. Vorlon. That's and so it's funny. like, so my question is, is Kosh the only one who does the like, oh, yes. Everyone else is like, what's up? My yeah, everyone Dylan. else is just like, yeah, weird. Oh, I guess he's going to go go away now. Tony Shaloub. Oh, my goodness. We're going to go watch Monk on the Vorlon homeworld. Dan concludes, I appreciate what this moment was doing. Sharon had nothing to lose, and it turns out Kosh had a lot to lose. I like Sheridan's implication that Kosh was training him for this moment, and that when the time came, he could stand up to a legend and say, Up yours. And Sheridan misunderstood what Kosh was saying and assumed he was being a jerk because this young punk questioned him. So wonderfully human. And it is interesting that Kosh decided to appear to Sheridan as his dad, considering that Kosh appeared to Jakar as his dad. I always wondered if this was Kosh expressing how he felt toward these young aliens or if it was a reflection of the Vorlons always looking down on people. I don't have a good answer for that. I think the thing like with getting to the emotional core of like older men on television shows is like be their dad and they'll fall for you. Every every like dude on a TV show has dad issues always. So that's the secret that Kosh figured out. It's like, oh, if I'm just the dad, then they'll love they'll be so sad that they'll listen to me. Name me a television protagonist, and I'll tell you if they have daddy issues. Homer Simpson. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, John Crichton. Yes. Big time. Uh, Ash Ketchum. Yep. Doesn't have one. Uh, <laughs> Tony Shalhoub. Monk. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I haven't watched Monk. Uh, the guy from... Uh... Uh, Pushing Daisies. Pushing Daisies has dad issues. Yep. Uh, Freaks and Geeks has dad issues. Avatar has dad issues. Yo. <laughs> Chat season seven, dad talk. That's all I got, Majel. We got one more email, though. Do you want to read that one? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. I do. Give me one second. Sorry about that. Okay, this last email is from our friend Marcus. Um, and the subject line is Kylo Franklin. Huh. Interesting. Let's see. Marcus says, I feel I owe you guys an apology. No, you don't. During my guest appearance, you asked me whether there were any more filler episodes coming up. Okay, maybe you do. Uh, and I mentioned one further down the line, which at least had a solid B-plot. Unfortunately, I'd forgotten about a late delivery from Avalon, <laughs> probably because of how much it frustrated me on my first watch that they would grind the whole series arc to a halt to have an episode with a guest star who thinks he's bleeping King Arthur. I blocked it out of my memory and skipped it on every subsequent watch. 
My only regret is that I couldn't warn you in time. I, you know what? If I were to rewatch Babylon Five, I'd still watch this one. I'd still watch. Oh, they tell her from Babylon. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it's so dumb, and you get to watch Jakar have fun. Yeah, it's true. That said, watching it for the second time, I found my opinion of it improved slightly. Like you, I enjoyed the Garibaldi post office bit, and especially the scenes with McIntyre and Jakar. And hey, at least it was better than Grail, the last episode about a random British man dropping by. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, the roasting you both gave that episode had me in stitches. Remember when the guy said his name was Thomas? <laughs> oh my god. Hello. I'm as for Thomas. Ship of Tears, as for Ship of Tears, I can understand why you're still not certain about whether Bester is menacing or just overly polite. But to me, the most chilling scene is when he's telling Sheridan why the Psycorps kept it a secret that hyperspace enhances telepathic abilities, saying it would mean they'd be placed on the front lines. He doesn't even attempt to hide his contempt for mundanes, calling them expendable, making it absolutely clear that he believes in the genetic superiority of telepaths, sending up all sorts of eugenics red flags. The episode also marks the introduction of the War Room set, which Delenn leads Jakar to when he's brought into the Army of Light. Hmm. As you noted, both of these episodes were directed by Mike Vehar, who other listeners have praised, and I want to echo. He does a lot of handheld camera work, which heightens the tension in scenes like when the crew enters the medbay after Bester's lover is broken out, and brings an exciting visual flair that I feel the show sometimes lacks. Uh, I know this is getting long. It's perfect length, actually. So I won't go too far into interludes and examinations, except to say that I'm so glad you both loved it as much as I did. And that confrontation between Sheridan and Kosh is one of my favorite scenes in the series. Uh, Jesus Trevino's lighting and camera work make Kosh look genuinely frightening. And Bruce Boxleitner once again shows that desperate Sheridan is the best Sheridan. Finally, I like how Garibaldi once again confronting Franklin about his stem, stem abuse, but unlike in A Day in the Strife when he backed down after Franklin lashed out, quote, don't project onto me just because you never met a drink you didn't like, uh, here he stood his ground and kept his cool. That couldn't have been easy, and I think they both played it really well. That's from Marcus. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks, guys. We always love the analysis, we, and I like um, the the comments about the specific stuff that we either got wrong or right that people enjoy. That's, you know, it's fun to know people are engaged. Um, and yeah, we've, we've had actually a string of really good episodes too. So it's been like fun to watch them and then remember like, Oh yeah, that was a good one because of the staggered release schedule and stuff. Um, cool. Well, that takes care of um, episode discussions. Let's send it over to the plug zone. Sound good Magellan. Sounds great. Groovy. You can email the podcast your questions, comments, or feedback over at chatspod at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at chatspod on Twitter and follow us there for updates about the show. Uh, We also encourage you to rate us on iTunes. Uh, We like to think that we're a five-star podcast, but that's up for you to decide. If you'd like to support us financially, we do encourage you to do so by heading over to patreon.com slash chatspod. Earlier this week, we put out a free episode of Chats Nights, which is our $5 patron show that we do every other week. We also do monthly commentaries called Commentary Chats, which we should be doing a new one of soon. We're going to watch Shrek, guys. It's going to be sick. Hmm. Uh, and Magellan, what is your chatsum for this week? My chatsum is I found this cool series of YouTube videos that I want to hip people to. 
called uh, I think they're five called five levels. They're from Wired, and it's basically people who have expertise in a certain topic. You see them explain that topic to five oh. different people with five levels of familiarity with what the topic is. So first they explain it to a five-year-old or to a kid. Uh, then they explain it to a teenager. Then they explain it to a college-age student. Then they explain it to someone who is like a professional in their field. Then they explain it to someone else who is an expert on the particular topic. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So the first one is this neuroscientist who's explaining this thing called the connectome, which is like a way of uh, or a way of visualizing and mapping the neural pathways of the brain. Huh. So when you see him explain it to the little kid, he's talking about like, like he tells the kid how many brain cells he has is like you have more brain cells than like stars in the sky or whatever and the kid's like whoa <laughs> and then by the time he's talking to the connectome expert they're like yeah well we're using spectral microscopy oh that's really the limits cool of this or that. and it it's just so fascinating and then there's another one where there's this this uh pianist who's explaining harmony and when it's the kid, he's explaining like, oh, you know, you could play uh, uh, Amazing Grace like this. And he just plays the melody. Sounds okay, right? Or you could play it like this. And he like adds the harmony notes. And he's like, oh, which one would you like more? And the kid's like, the second one, there's more notes. And then the teen, he's like, major chords are happy. Minor chords are sad. And then by the time he gets to talking to the expert who is Herbie Hancock, the uh, jazz musician. Right. Yeah. They're both like, yeah. And sometimes you can like diminish this or like come from a different angle. And like, it sounds like this. And then they just keep playing chords to each other. Oh. Like, well, you could do this. And then they're both like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like barely talking and just playing the music. Oh, that's adorable. By the time they get to that point. So it's really interesting to watch. I'm into that. I got to check these out. Yeah, Wired has been doing so much really great work on uh, their yeah. YouTube channel in the past couple of years. I, uh, I too, yeah. fell down the rabbit hole that it seems like everybody in the YouTube algorithm falls down, which is the Technique Critique series where the accent Oh, experts, those are so good, yeah. I, I've, like, rewatched some of them because they're just so good. <laughs> um, yeah, they do a lot of these, like, a smart person says stuff to you in a way that makes you feel smart. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> which right. I like. Um, that's awesome. So that, I actually... That's my new. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna. I was gonna segue. Go ahead. Oh, that's my one YouTube thing that I'm doing. My other chatsum is just. Uh, there's now, you know how there was the trend of titling YouTube videos like "Vines that cured my depression" or like "The greatest vines ever" or yep. like "I miss you, Vine." Now I've been finding youtube videos that are called like tiktoks that radiate vine, energy. vine energy yep love it i watch yeah, those all the time. it's awesome <laughs> no see what i do is i fucked up majan i'm still on tiktok no you're not no i'm sorry i mean i don't no, post you need you need to get that curated for you yeah you know what i probably because the thing is their algorithm is like hey it's probably you like show that you like bullshit right well it's it starts with that you get like an un 
filtered TikTok uh, for you page. That's like what the base page is. Oh, God. Is just like teens, uh, memes, and other disgusting things. And it's just like endless of that. As soon as you log in, you start liking things. The algorithm is like, oh, you like this one like gay girl talking about her wife? Isn't that cool? Did you only want to watch that for the rest of your life? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I also really like this weird like audio recreation of a Always Sunny bit. Like, let me have a mixture. Um, so I think you're right. I should just watch those. I've watched a couple of those. I like those, though. TikTok's a fucking mess of a service. We're too old for TikTok is the thing. <laughs> We're way yeah. too old for it. Yeah. But, yeah, there are some good ones on there. Uh, hilariously, my, uh, my uh, Chatsum is, thank you. <laughs> my Chatsum is also a YouTube, uh, thing. Okay. Mine's specifically a YouTube channel. Uh, a, uh, internet friend of mine named Ammer, uh, does a YouTube channel called Cigarettes. That's S-I-E-G-A-R-E-T-T-E-S. And, uh, they do these really great videos that are like, I love, uh, long form video essays about video games or anime. The problem is, like, you can only take so many of those before you just get used to, like, 30 minutes of a white man telling you, like, why One Piece is good. And, like, I'll watch that, and I'll be like, wow, this is so... I love this. But they all have a format. And Amr is uh, Egyptian and Filipino, and they're, like, very... They don't, like, have a format for, like, how to structure one of those. It's more like, I'm just playing this and talking about why it's good for 30 minutes by myself just quietly with like beautiful mic quality. Like I'm just going to play this like old game that nobody talks about. Uh, they did a whole playthrough of Kirby's adventure on the NES. And they're just like, here's why this game is brilliant. Like, I'm just going to enjoy it for exactly 30 minutes. And you're going to be like, wow. Or like, let's talk about Sonic adventure DX and how the language of gaming limits our understanding of art. It's like, but you're playing Sonic adventure (laughs) or let's talk about the unique merits of Sonic R's approach to 3d Sonic. Like, nobody's doing that stuff. So definitely check out Amber's YouTube channel, Cigarettes. Uh, They're posting stuff pretty regularly. It's very good stuff. Some of the stuff is shorter form, some of it's longer. And uh, it's, like, very accessible. You'll you'll definitely come out of it discovering some games you didn't know existed. Cool. That's what we got, folks. That's that's all she wrote. And that is going to do it for this episode of Chat Salon 5. Peace.